Can I pray? And then we're going to dive in. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your goodness and your mercy. And, and we ask now as we think about all that you have done and our response to you, would you be at work in us for your goodness and for your glory? We ask all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, we live in a time where a lot of people talk about response. Response to COVID, response to the effects of COVID, response to civil unrest, response to racism. And all these responses are good and they are right. But I think what happens is, and what can so easily happen, is we forget to respond to the bigger things than even these. We're so consumed with what's right in front of us and what we're bombarded with, rather than responding to what is of ultimate importance. And so today I want to talk about the deeds of God that demand a deep response. Now our Old Testament passage, it was the first song that is recorded in the scriptures. And it's this climactic moment in the story of the people of God. And, and I, the reason I want to start here is because I think it's helpful for us as a church community to start at this point in the story. Because this climactic moment is part of a larger story. Many of us all know it. It's a story that starts hundreds of years before this song with a man named Abraham, where God enters human history and he plucks this obscure man out of nowhere and he says to him, do not be afraid. I am your shield. I am your very great reward. And what God does is he makes this covenant with Abraham. And when God makes a covenant, he really means it. It's not like kind of humans. This is a real serious thing that he's going to make. And he says to him, I am going to bless you. I'm going to make you into a great nation. And through that nation, I'm going to bless the whole world. Now, these are words that we need now more than ever. You, you my chosen people, you are going to bless the entire world. And so it's a covenant that is made with the whole of humanity. Now we all know the story, or many of us all know the story. Abraham, he has a son, Isaac. Isaac has a son, Jacob. Jacob is dysfunctional, mainly for having 12 sons, but he's also a dysfunctional father. And he kind of ruins it, and through all kind of complexities, this little family, they all end up in Egypt. And you skip forward 400 years and you skip forward multiple generations and that promise, that covenant is almost forgotten. They are enslaved. They are brutalised. They are seemingly forgotten. And just when things couldn't get any worse, one of the most, the, kind of the first real evil person in the Bible comes along, Pharaoh. And Pharaoh uses what's called infanticide. So what he does is he starts killing these babies in order to quash this people group, in order to kill them off. And unaware that what he's actually doing is he's trying to kill off God's covenant to humanity. And Moses comes along and he says to Pharaoh, Yahweh says, let my people go. And then there is this cosmic battle that commences between Yahweh, the one true God, and Pharaoh, who is this divine being given to the world through the gods. And they have all these clashes, and they have clashes through the plagues, and it ends with Yahweh defeating Pharaoh and all these gods, the Egyptian gods. 
And it culminates into this chase into the desert. It's very Hollywood. It chased into the desert and the enslaved people of God, they're running towards their Red Sea and they're being pursued by their captors and their tormentors and the sea parts and they come up the other side of free people. And then the first word in chapter 15, verse one, the first word that we had in our reading, then, not at the Passover, Not at the first night having fled Egypt. Not on that first beautiful morning in the desert. Not when there was this huge cloud and and not when there was this huge fire. But when they came out of the Red Sea and it came crashing down, then. Then salvation is known. Then did they sing. Then did they respond to the magnitude of God's saving hand. So what is this song about? The deeds of God demand a deep response. And that is what they're doing. They're gathering as one people. The Israelites say, have a look with me. They say in verse one, I will sing. So it's a personal thing. I will sing, but they are singing about the corporate response, the community response of being saved. And yet there is this personal devotion, this personal response. And what I love about this song, can I encourage you to read it again tonight before you go to bed? Because it doesn't remain with them. In the whole song, there's not one mention of Moses. There's not one mention of how good they are. There's not one mention of the leadership. It's God's work, God's deeds, God's wonder, God's salvation. They have lived for 400 years, generation after generation after generation in this polytheistic culture where everything was an idol, where you were forced to worship Pharaoh as God and now they have seen the one true God at work, Yahweh at work and he is worthy, worthy of their praise. And that, this song is, look at what he has done. And it's not just what he has done, but who he is. In verse 11, it says this, have a look with me. Who among the gods is like you, Lord? They've seen this cosmic battle. They've seen the plagues. One by one, the gods of the Nile and gods of the weather and gods of the sun have been been decimated. We've seen you. Who among the gods is like you? Who is like you? Majestic in holiness awesome in glory, working wonders. There is no one like you. There is no one as holy, as glorious, as wonderful, as supernatural as you. Nothing compares to you. So there we've got not only what God has done, not only who he is, but the why. Why of the historical salvation, the reason behind what God has done. And we see it in verse 13. Have a look with me. It says this. In your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. God's unfailing love through all and in all and for all is the unfailing love of God. He was loving, he is loving, and he will be loving. And this song captures that, the arc of God's love unfolding. It's not just one minute. God's there going, boom. Look at the arc of how I've shown my love to you. Look, I'll show you how they do it in the song. In verse two, right? The Lord is my strength and my defence. He has become my salvation. 
He is my God and I will praise him. My father's God and I will exalt him. That's a reference to the covenant that God made with Abraham. He was loving. And then verse four, lots of this is kind of really brutal stuff, but it says this, Pharaoh's chariots and his army, he has hurled into the sea. The best of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in the Red Sea. Now that all sounds really harsh, but you've got to remember, this is a group of people that were enslaving and captivating and, and, and abusing m- mercilessly. And the Israelites have become free. He is loving in what he has done. He's crushed our enemy. And then finally, in verse 13, in your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. Even though we're on this cusp of this weird desert now, and you've promised us this land, but we're bruised and we're battered, and many of us still have the scars on our burning bodies, you will be loving. You have promised us that even in the future, we have this hope. So we've got here what God has done, who God is and the why. But at the heart of all of that is the knowledge that the deeds of God demand a deep response. And as you read through this song, you see that there are these two blaringly obvious tones, the extraordinarily confidence of it and the extraordinarily joyfulness of it confidence and joy. You see, this was a real historical live enemy that enslaved them, that consumed them, that pursued them. And now they are free. And this was something to respond to. They aren't buying milk, right? You know, when you go to the shop and you buy your milk, you tap your card because it's, you know, it's cheap. You don't go away responding with heartfelt thanks. You just get on with your life, right? That's not what they're doing. It's also country cricket. I don't know if you don't like, I don't like cricket, so I'm about to mock it. If you do, I apologise. But country cricket, right? You know when someone hits the ball and there's this kind of weird clap that isn't really a joyful shout. It's just a kind of, well done. Do you know what I mean? You you don't envision the Israelites there. The waves have come crashing down on the enemy that has abused them for 400 years. They've got the spray of the waves and they give a kind of British clap. Well done, God. For That's not what's going on. The Lord is my strength. The Lord is my defence. The Lord is my salvation. The deeds of God demand a deep response. Now, thousands of years later, Paul is going to articulate what they knew was happening. And he talks about how this group of people have been baptised into Moses by cloud and sea. And what he's talking about here is that this people, they came up out of the water as God's nation, not Pharaoh's. No longer would they be under the pain of the slave drivers and the tyrants. They would now be fully God's people. They would dwell with him and he would dwell with them. And this Red Sea moment, this was an historical image of what all Christians go through. Death, burial, resurrection to new 
life. Now, it might seem really strange, but if you've ever been to a baptism service, that's the image that we talk about. That's the words that we talk about. And with the Israelites, they were an enslaved, dead people. They were oppressed people, and then they came out free. They were resurrected. God's people resurrected. And that is what God was doing to them, and that's what God does to us. They are God's. And, the, and, and what that means is, what that demands of us is a new song, a new response. The deeds of God demand a deep response. What about us? Do we sing or hum for the sake of it? We're going to do some liturgy, which some of you will be familiar with, some of you won't. But when we say these words, what do we mean? What are we engaging with? When we come to church, when we worship with our hearts, are we confident? Are we joyful? Is church just about us? You see, everything we do, whether spoken or sung, is an outpouring in response. That you and I, if we are Christians, we've been taken from the bondage of sin and death and alienation from God to forgiveness, adoption and new life in him. New birth, death, burial, resurrection. And just like the Israelites had a real enemy, so we have a real enemy which was destroyed by Christ on the cross. It's very easy to kind of visualise the, the Israelites because so many people have done the films, you know, Prince of Egypt, we've all seen it, where the Egyptians are coming to them and the waves are going to crash down. But it's even harder for us to envision that Christ crushed our greatest enemy, our debt, our charge, our enslavement. And this is how Paul talks about it. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. He goes on, he says it like this. He disarmed all powers and authorities and he made a public spectacle of them. He triumphed over them by the cross. That is our salvation. That is our story. And we as a community, every single one of us, our community needs to be marked by our response. Now, at this point, you could be like, hold on a minute, is, is the Christian way only about singing? No, of course not. Our response is that that's an element. And over these next couple of weeks, what we're going to do is, as, as we as a society kind of come out of um, lockdown into kind of the blinking light, what we're going to do is we're going to look at this early Israelite group as they come out of being enslaved. What can we learn as they kind of wandered the desert but here it starts with a deep response. Because so often, as we said, that we can respond to everything around us and we forget that the deepest response is the, to the saving deeds of Christ. As the Israelites came up out of the Red Sea, they were the possession now of God. And so we are. We are the possession of Christ. We are his family. We are his body. And so I ask myself, and I ask this of you, of us, what could be greater? What is the greatest, happiest, all-satisfying thing that you and I can know? It's that we had a need 
And now we have no longer a need through Jesus, that we have been reconciled as created beings to the creator of everything. Where else, where else can our hearts and souls find rest and satisfaction than in the Lord who has redeemed us? We've been bought with a price. And, and, and you and I, we get to exclaim the truths that the Israelites exclaimed, but even on a greater level, they were slaved from save, slavery, but we were saved for an eternal hope. The Lord is my strength, my defense. He has become my salvation. And that is the great purpose and knowledge and joy that God has chosen us, that God has bought us, that God has welcomed us, that God has adopted us and saved us and drawn us in to be his people. Why? Because of his unfailing love. And you and I, we are faced with the insurmountable, priceless deeds of God which are offered freely to us. And these deeds demand a deep response. And so whether it's through song or speech or action, may each of us, may we be a community who sees the greatness of the deeds of God and respond with the depth of our being.